All right. Nice work, Debbie Rains. If you want to make your way on back to your seats, we'll, we'll get started. If you've, if you've got a, a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to start this morning. And, and while you do that, um, I want to I share an interaction I had. About a year ago, uh, I went to CVS to pick up some medication uh, for some sort of illness. I don't even remember what it was. Um, but while I was there, I, I went to the back, I picked up the the prescription and then rather than paying in the back I had a couple other things I wanted to grab and so I ended up going up front to pay and while I was in line um, I got behind two young looking people they they looked like they were uh, in high school or just out of high school and they were incredibly incredibly nervous and uh, not really talking to each other not uh, talking to anyone else the young man was kind of pacing around, very nervous, uh, very awkwardly, and the young lady was just standing there kind of staring at the floor, and, and we worked our way up to the front, and when we got up there, uh, they were right in front of me. Uh, the young lady stepped up to the counter, and she laid down a pregnancy test, and uh, the young man was still pacing around, kind of back away from there, and... They do the transaction and turn around, and the young man makes kind of direct eye contact with me with these eyes that look like they're kind of pleading for something. And not knowing what else to do, I just kind of looked him in the eye and said, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And the young lady started crying immediately, uh, and the young man kind of jumped into a back-and-forth conversation with me. And he said, our parents are going to freak out. And I said, probably. <laughs> but that'll, that'll just be temporary. And he said, I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, well, you can, just, you can just go one thing at a time. You don't have to have all the answers right now. And then he kind of paused and he said, this is going to change everything. And I said, absolutely. And you'll get a year, five years down the road, and you won't want it to be any different. But it'll, it'll absolutely change everything for you right now. And that's okay. It'll be okay. And I told him that I, I would be praying for them, and he and, and she uh, kind of just turned and walked out the doors there at CBS. There are a few moments in life, I think, for all of us where we, we step into something and we know on the front side, this is going to change everything. Everything is going to be different from here forward. And we have a lot of those same thoughts. We certainly might not be um, experiencing an unplanned, sooner than uh, we were hoping for pregnancy, but those moments can come at us in a lot of different forms, in a lot of different shapes, at different places and points in life. 
and we have a lot of those same thoughts. What are we going to do? Nothing's going to be the same any longer. And we've got to wrestle through how do we handle those? How do we navigate those? Today, what we're going to see in Scripture is a moment for an individual as well as for all of humanity where everything changes. Nothing remains the same. And so we see it in the life of Abraham. That's going to be what we read about uh, if you're tracking along with us in the Bible initiative. That's what we're going to read about this week. And this moment is so incredibly important for all of humanity for the rest of time that we absolutely have to make sure that we get it right and that we see it clearly. And if you haven't been reading with us up to this point, um, this would be a great time to jump in. Let me tell you why. Uh, a tip for you as, as you read Scripture. Maybe you're joining with us and kind of reading Scripture, walking through the Bible for the first time in your life. Um, an important tip is that no passage of Scripture exists in isolation. Which means that every, every morning or every evening when you sit down to read or you um, flip on your Bible app so it can read it to you on your way to work or however it is that you're doing that, remind yourself of what you read the day before. What happened? Who was involved? Where did it leave off? How did it end? Maybe once a week when you sit down on, on Monday to begin the next week's worth of reading, give yourself a bigger overview Really brief, you don't have, to, don't have to hit all the details, but fill yourself in on the story up to this point. Where are, where are we in the big picture, not just in the little one? And so I want to do that this morning. I'm just going gonna, gonna to catch us up to how it is that we arrive at Genesis chapter 12. And hopefully, as we walk through this, that enables us to see exactly why this moment is so important and what exactly changes for all of humanity at this point. And so we saw that God in his infinite power and glory creates the entire world and everything in it, humanity included. And then right on the heels of that, we saw that humanity in our finite and broken nature sins. And rather than uh, pursuing what the Lord has placed in front of us and has marked out as the boundaries by which humanity is supposed to live, humanity chooses to live contrary to that. In fact, to willingly choose to do opposite of what the Lord has provided for us. And in that, we steal the glory that's supposed to belong to God and to God alone. And we see the full depth of that sin. It's not just entrenched within the people of one particular era, but it's deeply established within the heart and being of all humanity for all time. Genesis 6.5 said that every intention of the thoughts of humanity's heart was only evil continually. And then in 8.21, after the flood, we see that for the intention of humanity's heart is evil from his youth. We also saw that God, patient, merciful, loving, kind, is also holy and righteous, and therefore just in his judgment of sin. We saw that with Adam and Eve in the garden after they ate the fruit. We saw that with Cain and Abel after Cain kills his brother. We saw it with the flood and uh, judgment upon the sin of the entire world. We saw it at the Tower of Babel, if you've been reading along with us 
when God scatters humanity because they try to, quote, make a name for themselves. God is just in his judgment of sin, and yet he's also patient and merciful, and he's full of grace, and desires to have a relationship with humanity. And so because of that, he saves humanity through Noah. And today we're going to move from a general history of the beginning of the world to a particular history of one group of people pursued by the Lord for a very particular purpose. That's what the rest of the Old Testament is. From Genesis chapter 12 all the way to Malachi, the very last prophet in the, in the Old Testament, there is a particular history of one group of people, the Israelites, being pursued by the Lord for a very particular purpose. And that particular purpose is that the glory of God might be displayed in the redeeming of humanity from their sin. And he, he does that through one group of people. That group of people are the Israelites. And that begins with a man named Abraham. And that actually when we meet him in Genesis chapter 11 and really dive into his story in Genesis chapter 12, his name is Abram. He gets a new name, Abraham, a little bit later. I'm just going to call him Abraham for the sake of clarity this morning instead of bouncing back and forth between two names. And so what we see in this week's reading, particularly in Genesis chapter 12, is that God makes a promise and then displays the means by which that promise is achieved and the people for who that promise is intended. A promise, a means, and a people. And so uh, we're going to dive into that story in Genesis chapter 12. I want to pray for us right as we get started. Lord, thanks for this morning, for the opportunity to come and to worship God, to open your word. Lord, to see exactly how it is that you have gone about pursuing humanity and the promise that you've made, not just to Abraham and his children, but to all humanity through them. God, and how you bring that to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would Open our eyes to these things this morning. Lord, I pray you would speak clearly through your word this morning. God, I pray your spirit would move in our hearts, God, and move us to action this morning. Lord, would you be present here? Would you be glorified here? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At the very end of Genesis chapter 11, if you've, if you've got your Bible open to chapter 12, you can just look right up above the beginning of chapter 12, because we get some biographical information, if you will, about who Abraham is. We see that he's the son of a man named Haran, that he's got a wife named Sarai or Sarah. I'm going to call her Sarah the rest of the morning. She gets a new name too. And that he lives in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And that's all we find out about who Abraham is. But in Joshua 24, if you were to fast forward, Joshua makes a speech to all of the gathered Israelite people, and he informs us of one other important fact about who Abraham is. Joshua tells us that long ago, your fathers, the, the fathers of the Israelite people, lived beyond the Euphrates, and they served other gods, lowercase g. Abraham was a pagan, a pagan being someone who worships a god other than Yahweh, other than the Lord. 
And it's to that man, Abraham, the husband of Sarah from Ur of the Chaldeans, who does not worship the Lord at that moment, that God makes the following promise. This is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There's a promise. And that promise has three kind of general categories. The first is that it includes land. We get a hint of that here. Go from your father's house to the land that I will show you. If you're taking notes, you can jot down that in Genesis 13, that gets filled in a little bit more. The Lord tells Abraham this. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. There's a land included in the promise that the Lord makes. There's also blessing included in the promise that the Lord makes. And for Abram, Abraham, that certainly meant material blessing. And that actually begins to play out immediately as you read uh, through Genesis 13 and Genesis 14. There's a battle and Abraham ends up with all sorts of material goods as a result of that battle. He gets materially blessed almost immediately. But more important than that, that blessing is spiritual. Remember, when we saw humanity sin, we said that the death that entered the world at that point was not just physical, it was also eternal and spiritual. Well, the blessing that Abraham is receiving in this promise is not just material or physical, but it's a blessing that is also spiritual and eternal. And we're going to see that play itself out. And then the last piece of this promise is about people. In fact, the Lord tells Abraham, you're going to be a nation and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. At this moment, Abraham has no children. In fact, Abraham not only has no children, he understands the reality that it's not possible for him and his wife to have children. And yet the Lord promises that I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a large family. And through you, all the families and nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And that gets clarified a little further in chapter 13 as well. In fact, God kind of helps expand Abraham's vision of how great this promise is. He says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. And with that statement about a land and a blessing and a people. Abraham leaves everything in Ur of the Chaldeans and follows the Lord. And it's a vague promise, right? God didn't even say, hey, here's the land I want you to go to. I just want you to leave where you are and come follow me to a land that I will show you and I will bless you and I will make you a great nation 
and you will be a blessing to all the families on the earth. Abraham packs up and he goes. And that brings us to the second part of why this moment is so incredibly important. Because the Lord, in this passage, clarifies the means by which that promise, that covenant, is going to be established. If you've got your Bible, flip over to Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. We're told this, and he, that's the Lord, brought him, that's Abraham, outside. The Lord brought Abraham outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then the Lord said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And here's the pivotal verse. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. We've seen that all of humanity is sinful, right? No one is righteous, not even one. And Abraham has has something given to him here that is completely life-changing, moment-changing, not just for him, but for all of humanity. He has righteousness credited to him on the basis of his faith. One thing and one thing only leads to this moment. It certainly isn't all of Abraham's wonderful religious activity prior to this moment because we already know he was a pagan. He was following other gods. Abraham didn't good behavior himself into righteousness. In fact, it would have been impossible for Abraham to have good behaviored himself into righteousness. Abraham did not church attendance his way into righteousness, mostly because there wasn't a church and no amount of church attendance could have gotten him into righteousness anyway. Abraham didn't just not cuss for a little while and make himself righteous. Abraham didn't hang out with the right people for long enough and make himself righteous. Abraham didn't avoid the wrong places for long enough and make himself righteousness or make himself righteous. No, he believed And righteousness was given to him, not earned, given. (coughs) Humanity up to this moment has already displayed that it cannot do anything to earn righteousness for itself. It cannot do anything in order to bring itself into a right relationship with the Lord. Faith is the only means, belief is the only means by which Abraham has righteousness credited to him, given to him. Faith is the only means by which humanity is made righteous. If you're dozing off right now, wake up and listen to one statement. Faith is the only means by which humanity is made righteous. We get a picture of that later in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Abraham. You don't have to, to flip there. That's a long flip. But we're told this in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. Abraham had a forward-looking faith at the promise that God had made him, that it would certainly come to pass. And so he leaves everything behind, and he follows the Lord. Today, we have a backward-looking faith at the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What was true of Abraham is true of us today. It's impossible to behavior ourselves into righteousness. It's impossible to church attendance ourselves into righteousness. It's impossible to do enough good things or to obey Scripture enough to become righteous. It's not possible. Faith is the only means by which humanity is made righteous. Obedience, obedience to Scripture, Obedience to the commands of the Lord, obedience to the law as it's laid out in the Old Testament cannot produce righteousness. It can't. But the flip side of that, and what we see in the life of Abraham, is that righteousness by faith always produces obedience. Obedience can't produce righteousness, but when that's been given to you by faith, it always produces obedience. Abraham's obedience, as you read through his story, is always immediate. There's nothing delayed about it. When God calls him to go to a land that he will show him, Abraham gets up and goes. When God tells him to circumcise the people in his house as a sign of the covenant with God in Genesis chapter 17, we're also told that Abraham did it that day. No waiting. Next week, we'll read about Isaac, Abraham's son, the one by which God is going to make Abraham the father of many nations. And when God calls Abraham to willingly sacrifice his son Isaac, he packs up and he sets out to do it immediately. And we read some of those things and we think, gosh, that is crazy. Why would someone do something like that? Why would you leave a good thing you've got going in Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a land that you don't know about that God hasn't told you yet? in order to follow the Lord. If you've been reading with us, you should have read the book of Job over the last week, portions of the book of Job. And we read the book of Job and we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, how unfair is it that God would take all of these things away from Job? And then you read the story of Abraham and you see that he willingly, he would just willingly give those things away because of his faith. I believe so strongly in the promise that God has made me, Abraham says, that I would give all of this stuff away in order to follow him. We read the story of Job and we think, man, that seems really unfair. We read the story of Abraham and we think, wow, what amazing faith. Well, which one is it? Is it unfair or is it amazing faith? The challenge for us today is the exact same. That if you believe passionately, adamantly, 
from your heart that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and died on the cross in order to make you righteous so that by faith in him, you might spend an eternity in the presence of the Lord, what would you not be willing to give up? What would you not be willing to walk away from? What would be greater than that that you'd be willing to hold on to at the expense of following him? Our obedience cannot produce righteousness, but when righteousness is credited to us by faith in Jesus Christ, it absolutely should produce obedience. And I don't know if it's unique to the American church or if it's a global thing, but when we see clear commands in Scripture, we'd rather have a Bible study and figure out if God is actually commanding us to do that thing than we would to actually do it. We would rather spend time talking about the words and really working out what God just told us to do in order to find an escape clause than we would to just simply be obedient. But if you've been credited righteousness thanks to your faith in Jesus Christ, it should always, always produce obedience. The last peace that we see in the story of Abraham. We've seen a promise, the means by which that promise is achieved, and that's by faith and faith alone. And last, we see a people that it's given to. Genesis chapter 17, I'm going to read kind of an extended piece here. Verses 1 to 7 says this, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations. Who are the people of this promise? Well, the people of God's promise are Abraham's offspring. Abraham's offspring. And as we read throughout Scripture, we're going to find out that Abraham's offspring aren't just... Isaac, his son, and Isaac's children, but that Abraham's offspring are all who share Abraham's faith. That finds its immediate fulfillment in offspring, and then, or in Isaac, and then the Israelite people. And God gives them the sign of circumcision. That happens in Genesis chapter 17 as a visible separation between them and everyone else on the earth. But throughout the Old Testament, what we see is that something greater is needed. That it's not just circumcision that makes someone the people of God's promise. There needs to be an inward change that displays faith. This is all about faith. And it finds its greater fulfillment in everyone who shares the faith of Abraham. This is what Romans 4, 11-13 says. He, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. The people of God's promise are Abraham's offspring. And Abraham's offspring are all those who share Abraham's faith. There's a promise, land and blessing and people. There's a means by which that promise is going to be given to humanity, and that's by faith. And there's a people that it's for, and that's not just Abraham's physical offspring, but all who share his faith. And it leads to the question, so what? Why is this moment so pivotal? It's because up to this point, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is a whole lot of sin and a whole lot of judgment. And those two things aren't particularly comfortable in America right now that we would openly talk about sin or that we would hold out the possibility that we could be punished for our sin and that it would be just and right for the Lord to do that. And then you get to Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and you start to see something different. You start to see hope. Hope that something's available to humanity that overcomes the reality of sin. You start to see life. In Genesis 3 through 11, we've looked into the face of sin and death, and now in the person of Abraham, we're staring into the glory of life and blessing. And we start to see eternity in that. That all generations, all people would be able to experience that blessing. And so I want to start this morning by addressing those of you here who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ already. If you're a believer, if you've been credited righteousness, thanks to the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we view our life appropriately. The promise that God makes to Abraham and all of his descendants was never merely intended for just Abraham. The Old Testament is a particular history about a particular people being pursued by the Lord for a particular purpose, and that particular purpose includes the entirety of the earth. It's always been that way. Using only the verses of our verses from Scripture that we've read up to this point, listen to what the Lord says. He tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In the story of Noah, the wickedness of man was great in all the earth. In Genesis 7, during the flood, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth. When Noah and his family step out of the boat, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. At the tower of Babel, we're told, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth. And then to Abraham, the Lord says, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As a follower of Jesus, we are to be through streets for the message of the gospel, not dead ends for the blessings of salvation. Through streets for the message of the gospel, not dead ends for the blessings of salvation. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, gosh, Tim, didn't you kind of talk about, you know, like everyone was dying there and we should care about the people outside the boat? 
Don't you kind of talk about this a lot? Absolutely, and I'll tell you what, I'll make you a promise. I'll stop talking about the nations when God stops caring about them. How's that? I'll stop talking about the lost who absolutely need to hear the message of salvation when God stops caring about the lost who need to hear the message of salvation. And let me tell you this, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are the means by which God wants to reach the lost. Not just the pastor standing up front, but every single person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why our mission statement is to build devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We want to build disciples who will take the message of the gospel into the world around them and make disciples. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been made righteous by faith, you are the heir and the inheritor of the promise that was made to Abraham, and that promise was supposed to extend to the ends of the earth, to all families and all nations on the face of the planet. And that's still true today. The flip side of that is this. If you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and had righteousness credited to you, I'm inviting you into it, and everything is about to change moment this morning. I'm inviting you to step up to the counter at CVS, if you will, and look right in the eye the reality that everything could change for you from this moment forward, and that that would be the greatest thing that ever happened in your life. Just being present here on Sunday mornings is not enough to make you righteous. Just trying to be a good person is not enough to make you righteous. Just listening to a sermon and hoping to catch something that helps you be a quote-unquote better person is not enough to make you righteous. There's one thing and one thing only that can do that, and that's faith in Jesus Christ and his work on your behalf. It'll absolutely change everything. And that's okay. I'm telling you right now that whatever fear or hesitation you may have about placing your faith in Jesus Christ, it'll be okay. Because what he offers you is so infinitely greater than what you currently have. Sometimes we see something good in our lives And we just want to grasp onto it because we can't fully wrap our minds around the fact that God might have something greater for us. And our first step in that journey is to understand that the life that Jesus Christ offers you eternally by faith in him is infinitely greater than whatever life you could carve out for yourself temporarily here on this earth. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to close... Uh, our service this morning with a few songs. And while those are happening, there will be people up here who would love to pray with you. God is inviting you into the faith of Abraham to hear the call of the Lord and to fully trust in Him to accomplish everything on your behalf, not because you've done something to deserve it, but because He is going to credit it to you by faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to step into that relationship this morning or to ask questions about it, I'm encouraging you to come and talk to somebody that's going to be up front and not to wait because once you walk out those doors, it probably won't happen.
But if you respond to it now, there's someone that would love to pray with you, that would love to talk to you, that would love to answer any questions that you might have. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ already, and maybe you're trying to figure out, how do I get involved in being a through street for the message of the gospel? You can come up and talk to somebody up here or pray with someone up here or attend that spiritual gifts workshop or call someone in our office, and we would love to talk to you about how it is that you get involved in making disciples. Let's stand up and sing together.